Well, here we are again, back at the Conf Lab with Nath Cartledge, which is me. Hey, I'm so humbled and stoked to have you in this space with me today. Let's tap on in. All right, before we get started, we just want to thank our great friends at Studio 6 Burley on the Gold Coast. They are such a great support to me and the Conf Lab helping us get this out to you all the time. So if you're a content creator, if you have a a long-term podcast or you're looking to start a podcast or you need a studio for anything, reach out to them at Studio 6 at Burley on the Gold Coast. They are amazing. Thanks again, guys. That's so good. I love it. That is brilliant. Mr. Lockie Stewart, thanks for being in here with me, mate, today. It's a a real honour to have someone of your calibre and do what you do and doing what you're doing and going where you're going in my uh, in my little studio with me at Studio 6 Burley and uh, and looking forward to the next couple of hours or however long this takes to break down your life. <laughs> Hopefully not too long, no. It'd no. Be good. Nath, I appreciate you having me on and I think this studio is honestly incredible. It's uh, You've done a fantastic job here and I was saying I was listening to your most recent episode down here so I'm excited to see what we dive into as well and hopefully can provide some value to the listeners. I'm sure you'll be providing value mate. Um, like I said it goes with your tagline strong men of value. Uh, that's an academy or a, a thing that you've built for, for men to jump in and learn what it takes to be a genuine man and, and so on so looking forward to doing that. Um, so just a little bit about you. You grew up where? Toowoomba. Yeah, and now I figured you grew up Toowoomba. Oh, really? Yeah, because the amount of times you go back to Toowoomba. (laughs) I'm always there. You love Toowoomba? Yeah, I do love it. It's a good good spot. I'm trying to convince, uh, or I've been trying to convince my wife for the last four or five years to move back there, but she's settled in Brisbane. Yeah, settled in Brisbane, but about to be settled in Nashville. Yeah, about to move, about to move, which is exciting. Yeah, very exciting. And that move to Nashville is all about Amy's career, your wife? Yeah, yeah, all about her. So. We were looking originally it was going to be Amsterdam because they got a big audience in America and Amsterdam and I used to live in France so Europe's awesome but for my career there's not much happening and obviously uh, my brother-in-law and sister-in-law not much happening in Europe for their careers either so America is like the golden ticket for for everyone and we managed to uh, all agree on that. Yeah, that's awesome. So Amy is a one-third part of Shepherd. Yep. Yeah, they're an awesome band. Mate, so you're about to head to Nashville, but we're getting off track here. Yeah, who knows what's going to happen over there. It should yeah, be fun. It will be fun, mate. That's awesome. Um, so grew up in Toowoomba. A uh, bit of family background for us, mate. So, yeah, grew up in Toowoomba. Um, dad's a, a chippy by trade. Mum was a nurse but grew up in Gundawindi, so fortunate to have the experience of the farm life as well, which is something that I absolutely love and and crave which is why I still go back to Toowoomba because my parents are outside there uh and you know was given a lot of opportunity I um from a young age my parents did whatever they could to make sure that myself and my uh, siblings had the opportunities and fortunately I sort of showed some talent in the athletics field uh and got in you know got a coach from the age of 10 and excelled uh there and was fortunate to then get scholarship to Toowoomba Grammar School which was awesome and uh yeah, that was, that was, I guess, a big turning point in my life where, you know, you weigh up the decision of I'm awesome at running and I've got some accolades here to then go into a rugby school and yeah. wanting to fit in and wanting to feel like you belong. Obviously, it, this is 15 years ago or so. It's like you need to become the football guy to really foot in, uh, fit in and stand out. So there was, there was, I guess that was a pivotal time in my life that what, I wasn't even aware of. What age was that? 
Uh, at grammar 13, so, so I went 13. Yeah, grade eight yeah. uh, straight there. But, you know. So running? Running, went on a running scholarship, but, but decided I wanted to – Wanted to be a, a good rugby player as well because I got picked on for being skinny as a as a rake, oh. and uh, you know wearing back then had the emo fringe tight skinny jeans that was <laughs> that was trending back then, and I was a skateboarder and, and runner, so redefined who I wanted to be and didn't fit into the 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 people group of of like rugby jock. Nah, wasn't wasn't a jock. So literally, I only started playing rugby the year before that, but. Um, when I decided that's what I wanted to become, I sort of rebelled from the running. Okay. Uh, stopped doing cross country, which was once again uh, represented Queensland in cross country, and just did whatever I could to put on put on muscle and learn to throw the football better, kick the football better, and um, just progress. And I thought that if I became good at that, I wouldn't get picked on because uh, you know a lot of the culture and is like banter with your mates, but I took a lot of that personally because I wasn't used to that coming from the primary school that I came from and it was never really picked on. So. Yeah, I cannot jump. I want to jump in there with you, Locke, if you don't mind. Uh, a lot of the banter we, you know, we do cop as mates, but I think everyone gets sort of chipped down by that. A hundred percent. Yeah, and you would see that in what, what you're doing now. Yep. Like, I mean, we'll go back to where you were just then, but what you're doing now, you're trying to unwind all the bullshit and the banter that people yeah. lay on each other. I think a lot of that comes back to the the quality of the relationship. I think, especially at that young age, many of us don't know who we are, and even you know a lot of blokes now are still boys at heart because they don't know who they are or what they stand for. And I think going through that period of your life, it's confusing because you're like, is it me personally, or are they just having a laugh? And quite often, young boys aren't doing it to you know destroy who you are as an individual. They're just you know, having a bit of fun. They're fitting in. and Yeah, and they're fitting in. They're wanting to stand out. People laugh at them so it's like they feel good. So they go, oh, if I can say those kinds of things and I'm validated, I want to be validated. Yeah. I want to fit in. So I think when we start understanding that, and unfortunately at a young age we don't know that, we're yeah. just figuring that out, Yeah, um, it, it can be quite daunting. So we do sort of want to sort of blend in with other people, which for many of us it's why we feel so confused and, we don't know what we stand for. We don't really know who we are because from whatever age it happens for many of us, we start to, like I was saying, blend into I want to be the jock guy. So this is how I think, act and behave. This is how the people that I hang out with are thinking, acting, behaving. So let's do what they do because if I blend in, I won't stand out. Therefore, yeah. I won't be you know, picked on picked on and, mm. and whatnot. It's almost like a safety, safety mm. blanket. Mm. So with your parents then, the, what your mum was a nurse. From yep. Gundawindi. Yep. Your dad was a chippy from Toowoomba. Yep. What was the like? What was the impression that they gave you that you then felt like you had to change? Yeah. Or was it you know was what sort of sense of family or? Yeah, that's an interesting question. A great way to ask that question. For me, Mum did everything to to make sure that I could pursue whatever it was, whether it's skateboarding at the time or running. She was just drive me everywhere to training, coaching and make sure I was eating well and everything. She just wanted us to be happy. And then dad was your typical Australian or what I believe to be typical at the time, hardworking, uh, work long hours to provide for the family. And at the time I didn't realise that was his way of showing he cared and love for us. For, mm. for There was a you know period from probably you know 15 to maybe 24 where I just thought he didn't care about us. Yeah. Um, but, you know, obviously – thought a lot about that and had had some help along the way to understand that. But 
I th- I'm very grateful for the opportunity, like that upbringing, because it drove me to seek the validation from dad. Mm. So on one hand, I had mum nurturing me, which was unreal because if I didn't have that, I could have gone in any other direction, but also craving the the recognition and the validation from my dad, I think inadvertently pushed me to work hard. Mm-hmm. And if I wasn't craving that, I don't know whether I would have pursued pursued things because I think as well when you when there's pressure on you you know you're either going to crumble or perform but when you want the outcome bad enough you're gonna you're gonna rise to the level of what that what that looks like and for me once again rugby or rugby league in in particular when I started playing that was like dad and my thing because he grew up playing rugby league and then when I started doing well there it's like I got my first hug that I could remember and it's like you know you could actually cry and um there were things that I think as a young boy or as a, as a boy in general, I wanted to be able to experience, which is uh, an, from an emotional standpoint, that, that gave me permission to, to do. Oh, wow. That's really interesting, isn't it? Because we, our last series that we did before, this one, was, this one is building healthy life patterns and we've got some great tips from, from Lockie he's going to get into later on. But um, Resilience was our last series and – uh, when I looked into the study on resilience done by Harvard and what uh, causes resilience in young men and young women or boys and girls compared to what the study they did was they did a study with, with a whole bunch of young people and and tried to find the difference of why some kids could handle pressure and some kids couldn't. So it's not surprising to me that you've been able to redefine your life and um, and rebuild properly how in a resilient manner um, because the one key factor was one or two uh, nurturing and caring uh, authorities in your life. Mm. And so you had your mum who was there at the right time, but you were still craving your dad's uh, nurture, yeah. not understanding that he was exposing his love by putting food on the table and making sure that you had everything you needed. But then later on in life when you found something that was relatable to him, you got mm. the thing that you were most seeking. Yep. It's really interesting. So Yeah. I and I I think it's it's something a lot of people often overlook because we we have this idea of how our parents are or why they did certain things. But when you actually take my belief is when you take time to think about why they did what they did based on what was going on in that time in the yeah, world. Context, like the nineties and two thousands are very different to now, mm, right? Mm. So people may look at the way, you know, parents were back then and go, that's ridiculous. But it's like, well, that was the world back then. Yeah. So rather than me looking at through it with, you know, 2023 eyes, so I'm going back to what life was actually like for them. And it was hard. Like we weren't wealth. My parents weren't wealthy. Mm. Um, so to what – But did you feel that they weren't wealthy? No, because I, I had every opportunity. Yeah, and I yeah. think as well, once again, <laughs> now we have so much technology and mm. – all of that sort of stuff, but I was just active. I was, I, you know, probably actually I haven't shared this on a podcast, but I used to play like Lord of the Rings and all these weird, <laughs> like if people saw me doing that, they'd be like, this kid's flipping weird. <laughs> but like we, we would climb down rock faces and train tracks and all of that sort of stuff. But my parents gave me the freedom to, to do that. Right. Whereas once again, now it's people are so worried about child abduction or mm. so many things that they won't give children the freedom to be kids. Yeah. And so like the best thing my parents ever did was let me be a kid. Mm. I, I would I didn't have much responsibility or pressures. It's like if I wanted to skateboard, go skateboard. If I wanted to 
run around outside all day. Awesome, run around outside all day. Like I was just very fortunate from so, from that. So they were building into you a value of what wealth really was. Yeah. Hey. Yeah, and it I don't se- think it they seems like that it. from my perspective. Yeah. yeah, and they didn't have a lot of money. No, like I wouldn't say they were they were wealthy. They definitely um, were working towards it. Like, and Dad built our house, and our house, our family home looks awesome. But people don't know we were sleeping in a shed for mm. eight months while he was building that. After, like, the work ethic that I've learned from him is unbelievable. Like, yeah. I, I pride myself on my work ethic. So you've redefined what work ethic is, though. Uh, work ethic isn't actually putting a nail in a wall, a <laughs> building anymore, a frame. Mate, it's no. Not, no, it's actually applying yourself to what you're created to be. Yes. Isn't it? Yeah. yeah rather and, and than that, that. A range of areas as well because, once again, many of us, and from a, speaking from the de- demographic of men that I work with, it's often career-focused and we think that if we have the money and the status and the recognition, everything else will fall into place. Mm. That's what I believe for a long time and I realised that's not the case. So when you think about what's the work that you're putting in, how much time are you and energy are you investing in your relationship with your mates and also your partner mm. or what about your health? You, you know, you can judge a lot about people by their health because it um, shows you priority, discipline, time management, so many things that are character traits that I look to surround myself with. Yeah, And you've got your finances and various other areas that require work. It do, you don't just wake up one day and have a six pack or you don't just wake up one day and have a million bucks in your bank. It takes time. And I really hope that a lot of people, because I started, I guess this whole, I don't like saying journey, but the rebuild of who I am back in 2014. And the first thing I wanted was a million dollars because I had nothing. Mm. I hated who I was. I didn't like where I was living. I didn't like how I was behaving, but I thought if I had a million bucks, it's going to free me up to have some time to do what I want, figure out who I am, because I think about it, most people, even for a podcast, for example, it's very easy to pass a podcast around and say, hey, just listen to this, it'll change your life. Yeah. So many people, and don't get me wrong, podcasts and books and that are incredible tools, but most people are living week to week. Mm. They don't have the mental or emotional freedom to listen to a 30 or an hour or a 90 minute podcast or read a book. Mm. They're literally yeah. surviving. Yeah. And so for me, and I, I can relate because that's where I was. So I just needed the money. Yeah. It's changed a lot since then because now I've, you know, I'm very fortunate to have my head above water financially. So I do have a little bit more time to invest in who I am and ask myself questions like, what do I want from my life? Who do I want to surround myself with? What's good health look like? You know, those other questions that we often tell people to think about. Yeah. So I like a lot, like, I like a lot of what you talk about. And I know, like, if people want to look up the Man That Can Project podcast, you talk a lot about this on your podcast, but also it's something that you instill. And I've been looking at this lately as if we want to live a holistic life, like body, mind, soul, spirit, um, all in harmonious, there's a there's a key missing and that's finance. Yeah. And we don't talk about that as an attribute because finance is such a big bearing. You know, if we worship it, it'll become our idol and it'll tear us down. We'll never have enough of it. But if we put in it, if we don't worship it, or if we don't put it in its right position, then we'll also be hand to mouth, like you're saying, and always looking at the upper ups who are getting the that share of the finance. Um, and it comes back down to a, probably a bit of gratitude and yeah. and understanding where you're at. But then building a holistically healthy uh, mindset around money and finance and how to obtain it and how to build a wealth creation tool and then how to do a B1G one, how to actually give back properly and all that sort of stuff. So I really honour you for that part of it because it's actually 
something that had been bouncing around in my little brain for a long time going, why don't we talk enough about this as being a part of holistic health? And, and it's how the world works. Yeah. And if people, in my opinion, if you want to put your head in the sand about it, my life wasn't very good when I, you know, had my head in the sand about it. So yeah. you, I think when we look at, you know, you talk about these holistic areas, it's about establishing what that looks like for us as well. Once again, there's a stereotypical or generalised idea of what success is for people. Mm. But most of us, once again, and you also mentioned taking responsibility, when we start taking responsibility, we can identify what the number is financially for us and how we receive that, right? Yeah. Whether it is, you know, everyone's saying you can't work a job, go be an entrepreneur or yeah. an investor or whatever. It's like, what's wrong with having a job if it serves your needs? It's That's right. perfectly fine. Some people aren't resilient enough to deal with the stresses of running their own business mm selling, marketing and everything else that goes with that. So you don't have to be a business owner. No. You just need to be clear on what role money serves in your life, how you want to receive that or how you want to make that a, a reality, but then also the other pillars because they all lean on each other as you mentioned there, Nathan. So when you can get clear on that, you can establish, okay, well, who do I need to become? Where do I need to put my time? What kind of tolerance do I need to have or patience around that timeline? in order to, to achieve that holistic mm. version of health, but also understand that you're going to mess up. Yeah, yeah. 100%. And you also may achieve something that you thought you wanted, yeah. which many people do, yeah. and realise it's not what you wanted. It's not what you wanted, and That's yeah. completely fine. But I, th I, don't, I think if you don't go on the journey of finding out, like um, you started with 2014, obviously it, we are now 2023, and you are now – how old are you now, Lockie? 31. 31. So you, you were 20 – I was, yeah, I considered myself young. I was 23, you were young, yeah. But you wanted a million dollars, but you didn't, if you didn't start towards that journey, you may not have realised, well, no, it's not what I want. This is what I want. A lot yeah. of people just sit back in their chair and go, I want a million dollars, I want a million dollars. And that's why the statistics on anyone winning the lotto and losing that money, like it's huge, mate. I, don't, I think there's it's 10% retaining. Yeah, it's or it's. Staggering. I think it's even less than that. And they lose it quickly, like in a year. So uh, I think that money is a big pillar. It's it's breaking that down though. I think, you know, say for example, 10% maintain their winnings. It's uh, same with, you know, six-week challenges from a health perspective mm -hmm. or a relationship. Yep. You have the honeymoon period. Yeah. Let's use those three examples. Whenever it happens at the beginning, it's the intention. You're like, I've got money, which means you do. You can spend it until it's gone, but you don't have, I've got money. How do I make it work for me or how do I – timeline this so I yeah. can live off a hundred grand a year or whatever from a relationship standpoint, honeymoon period. Amazing. Mm. What makes it so amazing for most people? It's the time and intention. You go above and beyond to show your affection or your, your love and you're focusing on what you love most about this person. Yeah. There's things that aren't going well, but in the beginning you sort of turn a blind eye to that. Yeah. Later on, we just focus on that shit, which yeah. is why divorce yeah. rates so high. Yeah. yeah. Um, 50 something percent. Yeah. It's crazy. It's staggering. So if we think about, all of these things and where I was going with that is if we can break down what makes success in each areas, there's some a few fundamental things. And all of us based on the upbringings that we've had, the experiences, the people we're fortunate to hang around with are going to teach us or, you know, we'll be at different stages in that, that, um, that process. So where people I feel as well are going wrong is we don't like taking ownership or being honest with where we're actually at in that process. Yeah. I wanted to make a million dollars. I'd never run a business before in my life. I couldn't communicate to save myself. I mumbled, I swore, I still swear like a bit of a trooper. I didn't understand sales, marketing, anything about business, but I thought 
just because I've decided I can make a million bucks, it's happening. Mm. I've since learned, man, I need to go right back. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, they're step by step. But the question I always ask myself is what is the one thing that I can do to improve X? Yeah. And if that's your relationship, what is the one thing you can do to improve your relationship right now? Yeah, that's that's amazing. Um, there was a couple of things in that that I wanted to ask and, and to talk about what you were saying about the, you know, people who – might not be entrepreneurs who might not be able to have that acumen to to go after change to make themselves wealthy. And my observation is most decent people who do go after it have got a big change in a mission in mind. That's not just about them; it's way bigger than them. So, um, however, I once heard this from a very very wise man, and he said the wealthiest man in the world is to be able to take what he earns, live well off it and have $5 left over at the end of each week. That's after saving, after budgeting, after everything, because he's living within his means. Yes. And that's a wealthy man, someone who can live within their means, whether you have a job, whether, whether you are an entrepreneur or whether or not. And sadly enough for us business-type entrepreneurs, we have to push that hard sometimes <laughs> that our means is not a point, is yeah. it? Yeah. Um, the other thing I wanted to ask is you recently got married to Amy yep. a year ago and you were just talking about relationships and, and how to put into those. So I want to ask, how's that, that's a year? Yeah, I think we're 18 months or something. Yeah, something yeah, like that. Yeah, it yeah. looked like an incredible wedding where you guys got married to. Yeah, up it was on the phenomenal island. in yeah. uh, with Sundays. Sundays. Um, how's it going? Amazing. Yeah. It's, uh, a lot of people ask that. We've been together for 10 years or coming up 10 years. So yeah. it was a – everyone every, – holiday we took up until like that nine year mark everyone's like you're gonna propose I'm like nah not yet <laughs> you gotta you gotta figure this relationship stuff out and I was still figuring myself out but it hasn't changed like I feel I'm so grateful because she in regards to how well she communicated how certain she was in herself she was where I wanted to be from the moment that I met her so being able to surround myself or have a partner who she didn't tolerate any of my crap like and when she met me I was crap like not good so for her to stand by me and sort of push me in the right direction was amazing and as a result of that our communication you know don't get me wrong we always have Barney's like you know all normal couple stuff but we communicate really well and we don't have these sustained I see couples that fight and just lose their temper I'm like whoa that's a person Mm -hmm. that you're supposed to be building a life together with Mm -hmm. like if you're losing your cool, maybe the work needs to be you need to learn how to regulate your emotions so that you can communicate effectively and work together because generally most confrontations we think are personal but it's like, okay, well, how can I uh, deal with this so that we're moving towards something together because Amy's succeeding in her career, I'm succeeding in my career but we're also you know, building, building a great life together as well and I think we're very aware of – what my weaknesses are, which is, you know, my mental health and my moods is shocking, but um, she's aware of that. So when I experience that stuff, she knows exactly what to do yeah, majority of the time anyway. So it's the work, isn't it? Always. Yeah, always the work. I think so just you, communication as well. I think that's the, the key. Communication. Yeah. It's um, interesting because you're saying how when you met her, you were crap. Mm. And That's but, polite too. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, well, I don't – I wouldn't say it, but – um, one of the keys to my transformation, um, my beginning of my transformation, I spent a lot of time in faith communities and um, I grew up in that area. My parents were both ministers. and um, But it wasn't until there was a moment where I could actually look at myself and say, it's okay, it doesn't matter where I'm 
amount. It's okay. Whereas I would look back at my 14-year-old self. So it's like you had that person come in as Amy and go, look, it's okay where you're at. We're going to grow from here. Does that sound? Yeah, that definitely. I think as you mentioned and it's cool that you had that experience as well where it's like you can just accept who you are. It's that yeah. self-acceptance which is it's tough because yeah. we haven't, like I was saying earlier, I grew up, I became a football player. I never yeah. was a football player. It wasn't yeah. an interest of mine. Yeah. But with that comes a lot of stuff that maybe you don't like. So the more I became someone I didn't want to be, I lost touch with who I thought I was. Yeah. And then you're confused. Yeah. When you're confused, you'll do anything to yeah. sort of get an opportunity to cry out for help. And, you know, coming from – I didn't never ever ask for help. So having moments where I could cry or where I could get in trouble with certain people – gave me an opportunity to cry or to have an emotional outburst because that's what I really wanted. I just needed to find a way to make it look like it wasn't actually me. It was the situation that I was in. Oh, wow. If that makes sense. It does make yeah. a lot of sense. It does. You know, we um, – yeah, I'm interested to actually dig into the fact that you you grew up with this sort of identity like you were a national level runner yep. and you switched over to the football yep. and – and I have an observation about people who are actually just um, trying to change their identity to fit in. Yeah. And it's it's important because I think that happens to every person in – especially in our Western culture, in our society, is we become this we, – we adopt this cultural identity that, that then changes the trajectory in the – of our life completely does. But then when we look back and we go, well, it shouldn't it – sh- that shouldn't have happened but it should have happened because now we're where we are – um, and we have that opportunity to go, well, I accept the responsibility for the decisions I make completely. I'm totally aware of that. I'm okay. Let's go. Um, but for you, it was to fit in at school. You became a rugby player. And then you had a dream of playing rugby professional. Like, yep. And we're talking the real rugby, not union. We're talking league. No, I played uh, league and union. Oh, you so did? So I was doing it by – I think when did I start league? When I was – 15, because yep. I, I couldn't tackle. So dad's like, I played league. League's where you learn to tackle. So I was like, all right, sign me up. Let's do it. And that's how I got into league. Yeah, right. But when I was playing overseas, it was uh, union. Union. So you played professionally yep. in France. Yes. And so what was the journey from here to there? How did you get to that? So from uh, school, uh, it was the whole, you know, I played uh, Malmeninga Cup, which was league. So yep. I played for the Twomba Clydesdales and was banking on getting a contract. Like so many of my mates were signed with Titans, Broncos, yeah. Bulldogs. Yeah. I was like, this is my year and we're playing Norse Devils and I blew my hamstring complete <sighs> against Lockie Maranta. Bugger. But uh, that's when I had a tantrum, went back home and got back into the you know, alcohol and abuse and all of that sort of stuff. And uh, I broke up with – my partner then broke up with me. She um, obviously had had enough of – who I was, you know, cheat, lie, manipulate, all that sort of stuff. And I was like, okay, well, I'm going to move overseas. I need to get as far away because I didn't know how to handle the – Before you go any further, was that the cheat, lie and all that sort of stuff, was that an adaptation of the persona that you were carrying then, like the footy guy? Yeah, well, I think – Was that really the you? The desire was to be just, wanted. Yeah. wanted. Yeah. The, coming back to the whole recognition piece and wanting to be – Wanted my my dad. When you get that, mm. when you get that, and not saying he didn't want me, it's just the f- the actual recognition in itself. When you get that, it feels nice to feel important. Mm. And when I started playing first fifteen in 
you know, succeeding in other areas, I was wanted by, you know, certain women or, or whatever. So even though I was in a relationship, I wasn't focused on the relationship. I was focused on wanting to be wanted. Yeah, so if I had a night out, yeah, for myself, because I didn't, I didn't want myself at that time. I still didn't like who I was. Okay. I didn't understand who I was. So any moment that, you know, I could be a night out with the boys and I was going home to my partners, but as Sheila would, you know, whatever things would happen, I'd just go, oh, cool. I feel valued. I feel wanted. Let's just go with that because I wanted that feeling to be met. And then mm. obviously after it, instant regrets. Yeah. It wasn't until I became aware of what was actually wrong because when I moved to Europe to run away, like I wasn't even moving to play rugby really. I was just fortunate that was the avenue there. I just wanted to get away from the pain because I didn't know how to manage being broken up with. Or I was felt lost and all of that. So when I moved away, it was awesome for like two, three months. And then after that, it's me living in France alone. The same stuff kept coming up. So I realized then I didn't act on it, but I realized then that I, you know, there was some stuff wrong with me. Mm. And then when I eventually came back to Australia, I just had a shocking nine months of like, let's destroy myself because failed at rugby. The chick that I loved at that time broke up with me, was back in Toowoomba, which I thought was a bad thing at the time because I always thought that I was going to be successful in, in sport and I didn't have any other opportunities in front of me. So that was that was challenging and the only way I knew to deal with that was obviously drinking excessively and, and recreational drug use because that was what made me actually feel numb for a moment in time. Yeah. And it's an easy thing to do, right? You can drink a beer and you're like, oh, that feels good. Mm. Whereas if you sit there and go, what's going wrong with me? That's too big a question right now. I don't want to deal with that. Yeah. Yeah. So with the bag, with, without dealing with the baggage, you just took it to France and then brought it back? Yeah. If you don't, if you don't unload the car, it's going with you. It's going with you. It is going with you. So that's a good analogy. Um, in your bio, like I'll bring this up. In your bio, you said you wanted to be dead, mm-hmm. and and like just let me explain. I don't, I I don't want to sensationalise the bad things that happen. I, I I want to make a point of where it went to, to to where it is. Yeah. And and just for everyone who's listening or watching or whatever they're doing, um, to show you that. You know, we hear a lot of people say, you can change your life, you can do it, you can do it, but there's people who sit there and go, yeah, that's all right for you, look at you now. And you go, everyone has this situation, so I don't want to sensationalise the bad things that happen, but it's important for us for relativity that someone has been to a worse place than you mm. and, and that person's always crying out, hey, I'm not just coming out of this, I want to grab as many people as I can with me because there is a better life for people. Mm. So you you said, and that's why I'm just explaining why I'm asking this question. So in your bio, you said at that point uh, you wanted to be dead. Um, what was that? That was just the end of this? Yeah. When you feel like you – I felt like I didn't have anywhere to go. And my whole life up until that point I had had an expectation of how my life would go out. And I feel a lot of people have that, especially coming out of school. It's like you go to university, get a trade. You're going to then buy the house, settle down, that whole – process and when it isn't going to the timeline you know we also have a bit of a timeline for that you feel like a failure Mm -hmm. I'd also gone to one of the best schools in Queensland I'd played elite sport I have a great family I'd had all these opportunities and I'd still stuff them up so that makes me a bigger loser and I so 
first person I knew who took his life by suicide was Chris McIntosh when we were 14. So he was signed with the – or had a scholarship with the Gold Coast Titans, Australian 100 200-metre champion and hung himself. And I still have that actual copy of the newspaper but I never got to speak about it with anyone – and I'd keep that copy and I'd pull it out from under the bed and cry. But no one – we never spoke about it. This is 20, 2004. And then my brother started having mental health issues and I would beat him up from it because I was like, what's so wrong with your life? You've got the same life as me. But also I've since learned that obviously he was living in my shadow and his expect you know, there's a whole spider web of how people feel. So everything that I talk about here is a generalisation based off yeah. uh, my experience. But then I started thinking, man, all these people are having issues. I didn't want to go, it must be normal. I was just like, I'm fucked up. The only way I know how to stop the pain is drugs and alcohol. But then i got to live Monday to Friday and that sucks. I don't like what I'm doing. I don't like how I'm treating people because, you know, when you get caught cheating or you know you're lying to someone, it doesn't feel good. But yeah. I was doing it anyway. And so I was constantly walking around hating who I was. And that was in my mind, magnified by the f failures that I'd seen myself to have. And I was never praised for being academic. I wasn't in a position where I believed I could change who I was. So I just accepted maybe this is who you are. This is your lot. Yeah. So I started to become victim to that. Yeah. And so when we were, you know, partying or whatever, I got to a point where people were like, dude, it's a bit much. Like you could die. And I just, you know, I never openly said, oh, I want to fucking die. But I remember always thinking to myself, well, if I don't wake up, I'm not going to be upset about it because then you obviously got the horrors after, you know, how you're behaving. So I, I was, you know, fortunate. I did send it when I was drunk one night or, you know, not really with it to, to mum and she's like, you need to see a psych. Mm. You need help. And I still brushed that off, but it literally like the world just worked for me after that. You know, Tom Crockett, who was a guy I was just playing local footy with, asked me to go to this personal development event. There's this whole chain of events, which then I met Andy who gave me the book, The Four Agreements. And yeah. I looked up to these guys because I had nothing else. I just needed to grab onto someone or something. Yeah. And when they were perceived as successful in the space that we were in at that time, I was like, I just, if they're giving me the opportunity, the olive branch, I'm going to grab it. Yeah. And, you know, I hung out with them a heap. So I changed my environment, started reading more got access to uh, information and opportunities and all of a sudden I had purpose again. Yeah. And when you have purpose again, you're unfucking stoppable Yeah, there you go. And I just kept setting new goals for myself. And when I ticked that goal off, I was like, I can't believe I did that. Mm. What's the next thing? And yeah. the process of achieving those goals, I had to learn new skills, had to put myself out there, had to remove friends from my life, had to surround myself with new people, mm. but I had to also take the action. Yeah because there are a lot of people who were given similar opportunities, but they're still sitting, sitting back there thinking about it. Yeah. And I was just so desperate at the time to get away from who I was. I didn't care what step I was taking moving forward. It was one or the other. Yep. yep. Yeah, it was one or the other. And, and someone gave you the four agreements, but, but before that, those guys that you were playing footy with that, that were going to personal development um, mm. courses and, and programs yeah, and they wild. took you along um, just showing you that, they don't have it all together and that's got to be something because you would have looked up to those guys and gone, these are where I actually want to be and I feel like I'm in this mess right now but I want to be at that level 
but they're showing you we don't have the answer, so we go along to this stuff. Yeah. And that's just a an absolute revelation for any person, isn't it? Like I still do it myself. All I do it myself. Like as much as I can learn, as much as I can learn, and from any age, <laughs> it it doesn't matter. Literally, you know, as many, as as any age. So the four agreements is a, is a personal. Um, I'm a personal fan of the four agreements. I love the four agreements. So when you when you actually said in your bio that someone gave you the four agreements and it changed your life, I was going to ask you, you know, what did this change you? But obviously you let us let us know. So. Um, one of the one of the ones, and this probably would have been a difficult thing at that point for you, was the first four of the four agreements is be impeccable with your words, and that word impeccable means to be sinless. Yep. And so, like, I understand, like, when you're confronted with something, they go, "Yeah, but I have been that," so it's saying, telling me not to be that. Mm. And then, like, how did you adapt and adopt? What what was the what was the process of adopting those four agreements into your world that actually? started seeing change come along and and started pushing you down this road because we'll get into what you're doing now yeah. and and I think we've we've probably spent enough time on what you've done yeah but there's two questions I wanted to ask you was that well that's one very important one the four agreements and how did you start adopting those things firstly it was uh social media ah. yeah I um carried all around a lot of guilt and once again I'm speaking from what I now know about myself at the time I didn't know but I had hurt a lot of people, I'd lied to a lot of people and you hold your, you know, you look at the floor a lot when you've, you know, I didn't go back to Toowoomba for a long time. Even mm. while we were with Amy, we would go straight out to my parents because I knew I'd hurt a lot of people and yeah. I was worried about that blowing up in my face. Yeah. And I, as I continued to learn, I got excited about what I learned and this is why I feel what you were saying before, when people start working on themselves, they've realised their purpose is bigger than themselves because we go, wow, I've had this growth I know plenty of other people who want to experience that. And I was exactly like that. So I was super enthusiastic about it. And I also knew I couldn't talk to save myself, but I was like, I just learned this. It's changed my life. I feel super excited. I'm just going to do a video about it or write a post about it. And for literally like three years, I, like I said, I wasn't super smart. I'd always send, write a uh, Instagram post or something. I'd send it to Amy, who's actually intelligent and she'd send it back and go, maybe write it like this. So she taught me how to write the way that I write now and uh, also speak. And then I, you know, started building a following like that. But every time someone would go, thanks for sharing that. I'm experiencing that as well. It built my confidence and it made me go, okay, well, the next thing that I haven't shared that I hold guilt around or um, I'm embarrassed about or feel shameful for is this. I'm going to share that part of my story, which is why I started a podcast that Mm -hmm. if you listen to the first 80 odd episodes, there's not many guests. It's just me sharing stuff that I've done wrong and how I thought about it and what I've done to sort of accept that. Mm. And once again, as a result of doing that, more and more blokes were like, I can really relate to that. Thanks for sharing that. I'm experiencing that. I'm going through that. And even though I've shared a lot of that stuff, I'm, I'm comfortable to talk about anything you ask. If there's anything off the table, it's like, no, what I've done, I've done, but I've learned a lot from it. And I think that holds a lot of people back from taking risk as well because they're worried about the failure aspect. Yeah. I've done some silly things, but they've been my biggest teachers. So I now know with the outlook that I have, regardless of what I do, and I'm, I know I'll stuff up again in life. I'm going to be very mindful that I don't, but it's going to happen. It's life. I'm taking risks. So yeah. when you take risks, stuff's bound to go wrong at some point. And yeah. I know that who I am and how I conduct myself is going to be able to navigate through that. And so, uh, I guess from that social media standpoint and the book, it helped me 
become who I am now. And I was very conscious around, I never wanted to be a coach. I thought coaches were people who couldn't get a real job, (laughs) you know, but I also got addicted to working on my own stuff, but then also the feedback from other people and knowing that what I, you know, I can help people save their marriages or I can help men get more from their life, which I thought life was over when you're 30, you have the dad bod and Mm. your relationships breaking down, you're struggling with your mortgages and it's like life doesn't have to be that way. And in fact, life's not meant to be that no, way. No, God, no. And so, yeah, 2014, like I said, when I read that book and I decided I, you know, got so curious about learning things, whatever I didn't understand, I wanted to understand. Yeah. And then also put it into, uh, I guess, implement it so I could see how it actually played out in my own life. Mm. But I was very, um, Oh, I've gone off on a tangent. I can't even remember where I was going with that. Sorry, guys. No, that's, that, that, that's okay. Well, it actually does talk about the last one, which is um, always do your best. Yeah. And, yeah, which you've done, you know, you've done you've done that with what you're doing now and they're, they're important for, for um, nice little ethics to have alongside of us. Um, I wanted to ask this question. Like I actually firstly wanted to say thank you so much. This was going to be probably my – last question for you uh, today, but this is, we're not knowing at the end of this. <laughs> um, but I just want to say thank you for being so vulnerable because we, we heard you we were talking about Dane's episode before you came yes. up, up the stairs, you were listening to it on the way down from Brisbane and, yeah, thanks again for driving away down here. Mate, it's a treat to get down here. I love the coast. <laughs> yeah, I love the coast. Um, but he's he started a men's group called Men of Gold, empowering vulnerability. And from from my perspective, what you've done is just you've been so vulnerable with the shit, um, and so many people are so afraid to be vulnerable, and so many people are so worried about exposing those parts of their life that I think the masks come on, and mm. we we wear it. So I was going to ask how important is vulnerability, but I think you've just told us all because the first eighty episodes of your podcast, it's now 450 mm. odd deep, was about you and how you started mending and healing yourself was telling people on social media that you were struggling with this and that and this and that and you were getting people to come back to you. You were vulnerable right from the outset. So you somehow knew that vulnerability was going to be a healing point for you and help you whole, grow and whole, become whole. How important is now vulnerability in the work that you do? Huge because it, it comes back to that one awareness, like being aware of why you're feeling the way you're feeling or the events that have happened in your life, accepting that because if you don't accept anything, how do you expect to move on with it? Yeah. Okay. You know, if I were to say, let's go for a burger, you were aware that we're going to have a burger, yeah. right? The acceptance is when they bring the burger out, you're going to accept it and say, thanks. Now you can eat it. Yeah. Right? If you don't ever accept the burger, how the hell are you going to eat it? Yeah. I don't know whether I brought that that's analogy a good but analogy. Anyway, I made that up on the fly. <laughs> but pretty good analogy but though. When you start accepting those things about yourself, you can live with it. You can move on because I'm going through this challenging point in my life right now. So I've started with a new psychologist and I've been seeing psychs for years. Just, you know, even if I don't feel like I need to do it, I just go every month because yeah, I just do. Anyway, um, one of the biggest challenges I'm facing at the moment is like, am I starting to overanalyze the work? You know, people talk about the work. I'm just an everyday bloke. Like I love surfing, skating, having a beer with my mates, doing doing what I used to do. And when I started this whole personal development journey, I developed, I guess, a personal development ego where I thought I was better than everyone. I thought I had to continue to seek out spiritual work and 
professional development, all this stuff, right? I just didn't stop. But what happened was I stopped living because I became so addicted to trying to better who I was that I, you know, ultimately lost who I was as well. There was a point, Nath, where I literally didn't watch a game of sport for like three years. Because I was like, why would I watch someone else live in their dreams when I'm trying to build my business? Now, some people say that's awesome, good on you, but I'm like, well, fuck. Every time I caught up with my mates, I couldn't talk about anything. I was like this weirdo sitting there. So the challenge I have now, and it's, I guess, this circular conversation uh, that I have with my psychologist is like, am I overanalyzing stuff? Because, you know, I went in there without a problem the other day, but then I walk out with more problems. I'm like, I've went in there feeling good now. I'm like, fuck, what's going on here? <laughs> I know the feeling. And I, I feel there's so many, every, every person's incredible. Some of us have some stuff that we have to work on because it's causing challenges in our life yeah. right now, like stuff that we need to fix, but then we can always get better. Yeah. But if you're not living because you're constantly trying to get better, I think that become, starts to become a bit of a problem mm-hmm. because the life that I've created for myself, when I mapped this out on paper years ago, I was like, I'm going to be surfing more, you know, I'm going to travel more, I've got the freedom and the flexibility to do so, but do you think I do it? No, no I don't. Yeah. yeah, it's part of one of your values too, adventure. Yeah, you know? exactly. Fre- freedom and adventure. Yeah, so. it's, it's a really good point because I, I actually have been witnessing that from, from my perspective. Um, I've been witnessing a lot of that in this world, you know, and, and it's a world that I admire and, and am inspired by. It's a world that's well needed. But are you living, you know, like because I, th- I personally think, this is my personal belief about this and happy to be malleable with my beliefs, really, um, really am. So happy to have them challenged and want to always change and so on. But if we're not personally developing to live better, we're actually just personally developing to personally develop. Mm. We're actually not living better. And what is living better? Living better for me, my personal living better is being better for my family, being better for my friends, doing the things that I love doing and enjoying. Like uh, I'm pretty addicted to saunas and cold pool. How good are they? Oh, man. Oh, so <laughs> every good. Every day, every day. Um, sometimes get in trouble because I try and do it twice. But, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I'm so and, – and I'm addicted to my, my personal routine, but I make sure it's about me becoming a better version of me. And I'm on my journey of, of health. It's been about an 18-month growth so far. And I still have a, a little bit in front of me. Actually, I've got a lot in front of me because I'm never going to stop, yep. you know, slowly rebuilding all my things. Um, so, but I believe that it's all about me living better. So every day I can be better for the persons that are people that are in my world, um, people better for the people that are in my business, uh, which are in my world. So I, th- I sort of think that if we get stuck on it, and I have, I have witnessed it a bit, Lockie, that, and I think it's true of nearly every ism. That people get so caught up in the religion of their ism that they forget that life is a beautiful thing to live. So we want to get better to live better so yep. then we can shine our light better rather than getting caught up in always having a personal develop. Yep. And, uh, well said. Yeah, thanks, mate. And I'm, I endorse Cenocyte. I do too. And I, I, even when I don't have anything to work on, which we've worked on some pretty heavy stuff between her and and my coach, it's just been breaking down that need for approval, mm. breaking down the self-validation stuff. and It's a common one, isn't it? It's a very us, big yeah. common one. And, like, it comes from the same place. Do I fit in and what do I now need to do to fit in? And understanding that probably three of the basic human needs are, well, they are belong, connection, and 
and love, you know. So, um, mate, we've thank you for opening all that up for us and being so vulnerable about your journey there. Um, I really want to get into the Man That Can project and understand uh, what you do, the effects of it and so on. But one of the things that I want to talk about is how you became really good at communicating. <laughs> like, I'm not going to say it, you can. Uber driving. <laughs> Speaking about this offline, yeah. For me um, – Well, it was offline, but yeah. maybe a bit of it was caught online, yeah. I think. It's, it's somewhere. It's, it's there. Some- For me, yeah, I wasn't a good communicator and when I moved from Toowoomba to, to Brisbane to live with Amy, I didn't have a social group either. So the best way to – guess meet people this is you know 2014 so there weren't I guess apps and social media wasn't huge back then uh was I was catching public transport so I'd literally go sit next to random people on a bus and try and strike up a conversation I was I was weird like if I saw myself (laughs) now I'd be like this guy and then uh started uber driving see I would have loved to be in your Uber because I love talking to uber drivers mate literally some of my clients still I met in uber oh really yeah (laughs) still one of my you know, groomsmen from my wedding I met in Uber. Really? Yeah. That is wild. I, and my goal was to how quickly can I build rapport with this person? You know, on average you'd have about five minutes. So the goal was to ask a question that they're either going to say piss off or they're going to just start talking and sharing uh, their life story. And that happened so frequently and I really feel like now I can build rapport with people so quickly. Yeah. Uh, and I think one of the – challenges a lot of people face with connection even is we aren't we're scared to ask questions we really want to ask because we're fearful that they might tell us to piss off or it might be you know too privy or whatever it's like just ask what you want mm. to ask the worst mm. that if, even if they do tell you to fuck off mm. who cares yeah you don't want to talk to them anyway yeah but you could give someone the opportunity to share whatever it is that they want to share it might be deep it might be playful it doesn't matter mm. but they, they may never get to speak about yeah, and that's my my goal in every conversation is to have someone walk away from me where they're like, "That was phenomenal." Yeah, yeah, Uber driving. So yeah, get on the Uber. You know, if you have a problem with communicating, <laughs> yeah, become yeah. an Uber driver because you can earn money and learn how to build connections. Exactly. And not that I, we're endorsing Uber here. We're not sponsored by. No, them. we're not sponsored by. No, Uber. I no, actually not no, a fan of Uber, but no, <laughs> especially Uber Eats. No, yeah. No. Oh, that's terrible. That's isn't it? terrible. Every yeah. time I order it. Yeah. again, but I do it. One of your core values, like you have uh, five core values. Oh, well, I asked you your top five core values. Yep. Um, you've got health, uh, freedom, family, connection, and adventure. And we talked about the freedom and, con- and adventure, that you're not doing that enough right now. Um, but I know that you're about to head to a very adventurous place yeah. and have a lot of fun over there in Nashville. Um, but it's interesting that connection. See, I have this theory. It's a hypothesis. It's not proven. Um, that we all have an innate uh, core value that is we, – we talk about the hierarchy of core values or Jordan Peterson talks, we all have a hierarchy. Yes. And so let's just get rid of hierarchy. I'd rather look at it as a foundation. And um, whether it's come through trauma, whether it's come through uh, family connection, whether it's come through whatever it, whatever it comes, whatever way it comes, and I believe everyone has a different one, well, you know, people have probably have the same one because it's probably not enough in the world. There's 8 billion people. There's not yeah. 8 billion values. Um, but what would you say out of those five would be your innate one, like the one that's innate, the one that's just you just can't live without and when it's not there, you just go, I'm, I'm struggling, I need this. It's connection. And for yeah, me – I circled it. Yeah. And now you're looking at it because I circled it. Yeah, well, I, I think 
you know, you could, as you said, there's 8 billion people. There's only very few descriptive words in, in comparison, but it's what meaning connection has to people. So for me, it might be completely different to you. Yep. And this is once again, where it's important to be okay establishing what that means to you. Connection for me is myself. And you said it uh, before, like you prioritize that time for yourself. Mine every morning, whether I have to get up at four to make it happen or I can just do it when I normally do it, it's locky time. Yeah. Amy will literally, if she sees me in a mood, go have some locky time. She okay. knows how important that is to me. And uh, whether that's, you know, playing music or reading or just staring at the sky, whatever, or going to the gym, it's just like go have that time because if I'm connected to myself and I'm listening to intuitively what I need or what I feel I want at this point in time, everything else in my day goes better. Yeah. And I'm a better husband, I'm a better mate, I'm a better coach. Yeah. And there you go. Like that's what we were talking about is living your life right. Yeah. So connection's yours. Connection's it, mine. It is the foundation yep. that everything else pins off. Yes, definitely. It, I'm exactly the same, but that's not mine. Mine's freedom. Um, but I am. What's freedom for you look like? Freedom for me, it's interesting how freedom's changed. But once I understood what, fre what was freedom, because I always chuck things out. Like if someone's trying to tell me what to do, I feel like I'm being controlled. And I look back at my life and it was a lot of control in my life. So I was always trying to come out from it and, you know, birds of the world, yep. you know, really rebellious. But I understood that what – and when I asked myself why why have I had this feeling and it was it was like not that long ago where this whole thing, this hypothesis fell on me and I was walking in nature, had a podcast on and I've just gone, fuck, I've just got too much information going on. I'm reading too many books, I'm doing too much PD. I just need to stop. I can't take anything else in. Took the earpods out. And just started walking and felt the ocean and listened to everything. And then had this little epiphany, like, what is my one thing? Why, why do I keep running, trying to run away from stuff? Or why have I, why have I always tried to sort this thing? And it and, and, and fell on me that my core value is freedom. And freedom means so much to me. Like, I love my own time. I, I love um, um, solitude. Absolutely love solitude. But freedom is like a framework now. Like, and I understand that. Without discipline, freedom is not freedom. And that's that's the big – that's why I had that epiphany of going, hang on, for me to achieve my goals of freedom, financial freedom, health, freedom with time, freedom with health, freedom with all these holistic angles that we're talking about and being free in them all, um, I need to be disciplined to do that. But without understanding that and just having that, I'm always going to be rebellious to it. So it was like a real moment of – Oh fuck yeah! Right now, I need to be disciplined in in this so I can have the freedom I want, and it was really interesting. So yeah, freedom's mine. That's awesome. I yeah. Love it. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so we've got to Uber driving. We've we've dealt with all that. Um, I want to ask you this question, which I generally ask guys at the beginning of an episode who've never been on my podcast, and that is like I I'm see sweating all now. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, I see all the stuff you do and they're all the doings. But we're not a doing, we're a being. Yep. You know, and we're a being before we're a doing and we're talking about this a little bit, Oscar, with you. You know, we're humans before we're anything and, and, and I like making that statement that I'm a human before I'm an Aussie and so on. So with that in mind, who is Lockie? That's a great question. Sorry, I didn't even put that in the questions I sent you. No, uh, that's all right. It's good though. Stopped you. I'd like to think I'm someone who is genuinely showing up 
how I feel is going to best serve myself, my family and the people that are around myself and bringing that back to it. If you look at the way that I live my life, it's health as an actual appointment in my calendar, like training and reading and all of that sort of stuff. Like I'm very disciplined because I understand the ripple effect that if I'm, you know, I'm having time here, I'm taking time away from yep. other places. Yep. And I see this as a great investment in time. So I'm very uh, aware of what I'm working to create, but I'm also aware that the time that I spend at work, for example, I'm sacrificing time in other areas. So I want to make sure that regardless of the work I'm doing on myself and the work that I'm doing to help or grow a business and help other people, I don't sacrifice what's important to me most, which is family, which is health, which is adventure. Because at the end of the day, that's what I really, really love. I love what I'm very grateful for what I get to do on a daily basis. But man, I got some cool stuff. Like I got an amazing wife, amazing friends and you know, health that allows me to do a lot of cool stuff. Mm. So I'd like to think that people who meet me believe I'm a man of integrity. I'd like to believe I'm a man of integrity. So I do what I say I'm going to do mm. and I prioritize whatever needs to get done to do that. Wow. Really good. So man of integrity. And the interesting thing is that when you didn't know your identity, because <laughs> at the end of the day, who we are, our being is our identity. Um, that could be argued. And probably would be by someone yep. else, but I don't really care. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I'm happy to be challenged. Um, but your when you were lost, that was the part that was lost, your integrity. And when you've now found your integrity, it's obviously very important for you to turn up, as, like you said, turn up as the best version of Locke to, Lockie to, to you and yep. to all the people in your world, and that's integrity. So um, that is who you are and uh, good on you for doing it. Yeah. I appreciate that you're – your answer in that one because people just get stumped because I generally sometimes tell them and sometimes don't. <laughs> <laughs> I like that you didn't tell me. It was uh, good yeah. to think about. Yeah, good to think about. So you can take that. And that's I, I guess that's the thing that we always need to be able to pat ourselves on the back. Mm. Who am I? Well, I am, I am this and, and I liked your answer of I do what I say I'm going to do. And I think that's one of the most important things for men and not to um, say women as well but for men men in, in your groups, men in, is to understand that the very first thing that you can do to help yourself is start keeping your word to yourself. Start Just start keeping your word to yourself. That's all you have to do. If you make a promise that, hey, I'm going to do this, don't tell anyone. You don't do really it. need to. Just keep it to yourself first. Keep your word and then, then you'll start getting your own validation from inside and then you'll start building your own value and away you go. Mm. All right. The man that can project and the strong men of value, can you just give us like as long as you want but I want to understand what this does and, and some of the results and so on. So what does it take? What, is it, what does it include? What is, what is it all about? Yeah, so the man that can project started as a men's group back in 2017 um, and we literally just used to do men's circles and then we, it was always, okay, what else can I do to help? help men. Um, but I guess so you, were you still chipping then or no, or, no, 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 no. So I, 2014, I got into network marketing, right. build an organization, then Uber driving, then, you know, all of that stuff. So 2017 was, uh, wrapping up the network marketing and, you know, I'd built a, a good audience in the coaching space. Um, and so, yeah, it was, what, what else can I do to help these blokes? Cause I always wanted to help people who were like I was, I didn't have access to to men from all walks of life who were successful as dads, were successful with health, were successful in career that I could pick their brain and yeah. have them honestly tell me 
what it's like, not just, man, if you do this, she'd be right. It's like, okay, well, everyone, I could have Googled that. I want to know the emotional stuff that goes with the logic yeah. because the emotional stuff's what holds us back. And we, that blew up. Like, it may, you know, we had lawyers, we had you know, billionaires, we had people who, like myself who had no, didn't know their ass from their elbow. And I was sitting in these rooms and I was like, this is pretty incredible to see how much men are just wanting a place to talk. And then I was like, okay, well, talking's one part, but let's start working out how we can integrate stuff in their life. And we started running workshops and retreats. And I didn't mention this before, but you asked, you know, who I am as a man. When I think about where my life's going to go, it's not attached to materialistic or possessions or people. It's a, it's a framework around connection, freedom, health, and lifestyle. And connection could be anyone that I've, you know, we outgrow people. So therefore I'm not attached to people. I'm attached to the value that's coming in those relationships throughout my life. That's really good. The freedom for me is financial and also flexibility. Hence why we're majority online because I travel, I, uh, you know, want to, if I be a stay at home dad, I want to have the opportunity to do that. Uh, but I also need the finances to do that. I don't want to be just um, not have the money to actually enjoy those things. Cause you can easily just say, I'm not working anymore. There we go. I've got freedom, mm. uh, flexibility. So then we've got the lifestyle. Like I said, the, the values that I mentioned, they're all important that I integrate those into my lifestyle. So I'm not overworking. I've got great balances uh, there. And then obviously the health, health is your energy. It helps you build confidence, all that sort of stuff. So every decision that I've made has to move me towards that. So mm -hmm. when I started running workshops and doing a lot of face-to-face -face stuff, I was losing the ability for that freedom part. Yeah, okay. So that's when I said, okay, well, oh, and also, so to tie that in, when men came to our workshops, it was an immersive experience. You have an awesome time with an immersive experience, but what happens to most people when they go back to their current yeah, environments? Yeah, yeah. They just start acting how they were acting before. So we thought about, okay, well, what's a way that we can give people that accountability and those checkpoints to, to continue to grow, uh, grow. And that's when the Academy was born, yes. which is like a sub sub. It's just an Academy from the man that can project. But I was so far away from the health space because I didn't want to be a PT but the most important thing in my life is training. Like I love training. I mm. love it. And it teaches me so much about resilience. It's incredible for community. Uh, you learn a lot about yourself as an individual and you feel bloody good when you've got a good pump on. Yeah, especially when you beat someone in a rowing competition. Oh, yeah? Love it. Love it. <laughs> he does these rowing competitions with – you were doing that for a while, weren't Yeah, you? so I rode 30 marathons in 30 days. Wow. Um, wow. We, did, we had Geordie Chenery in here. He's a weapon. Yeah, 33 marathons in 33 days. But on his feet, yeah. I don't know how he did that. I was watching him on social media. I was like, this guy is insane. Yeah. He's an amazing, amazing guy. Just amazing. Anyway, we'll keep Yeah, well, I'm going to listen to his podcast as well. I saw you've, you've had that one there. Um, so, yeah, that's when the Academy was originally like a helping men with the frameworks that we'd built from our workshops and stuff. But what I realized was when I was unhealthy, so, you know, I've never been overweight, but when I was drinking a lot of booze and partying, et cetera, I had didn't like who I was. I didn't feel good about myself. I didn't have the, you know, I didn't wake up in the morning going, oh, how good's a day? Mm. So I realized that I needed to integrate that, uh, the physical fitness component. And we've now broken the academy down into physical fitness, mental fitness, and gratitude. The reason being, when I was an athlete, I was physically fit. I was a, and, you know, best thing in my life. But as I mentioned, when I moved to France for a long time, I had the mental baggage that was holding me back. Life mm. wasn't good, even though I had this awesome health. Mm. So for me, it wasn't just about, 
uh, endurance and aesthetics, there had to be that mental component for people to improve their relationships with themselves, the people around them, uh, and, you know, find purpose, values, all of that sort of stuff. 2014, 2015, 2016, I had all of that. You know, 2017 was when I made my first six figures. I was like, yeah, but it was still never enough. So Mm -hmm. I had the mental fitness, I had the physical fitness, but I didn't appreciate the life that I had. Mm. And it wasn't only until probably 2019 or 20 or COVID really, um, when I was like, I need to just appreciate what I've got. Yeah. Like really, like the life that I have, the clients that I have, the wife that I have, it's all there. So that was the missing piece. And for a lot of people, whether their you know, main focus is that physical fitness to improve because we, we provide all of that for people. Or it might be the mental fitness, or it might just be learning to appreciate what they've got. Yeah. We try to help, or we try to, we do help men from all walks of life um, in, incorporate that to learn to be better blokes, healthier blokes, and more present with, you know, the life that's going on around them. And, you know, you ask about results, we've had yeah, like over a thousand people wow. um, and, you know, we've got a before and after photo from a guy working in the mines. Then we've got people whose relationships are being saved, people who've started businesses. It's you know, one of these things in business is like find your niche market. It's like I want to help people who are like I was, who were lost and obviously I, I did a trade as well. Um, so we've got a lot of blue-collar workers but then very fortunate. I work with CFOs, CEOs as well. That The cool thing is in our community people – I mentioned I never had access to people like that. When you mm. join the academy, you get access to yeah. literally six, seven, eight-figure income earners if that's what floats your boats. Otherwise, you get access to men who are just incredible parents, uh, communicate really well, a stay-at-home dad. So you can see, find what you're looking for and tie it into that, but it really comes back to those those three things. Those three things. And the academy is called the Strong Men of Value. Strong Men of I Value. I love yeah. that name. It is so good because, um, like, number one, I, I – absolutely anchor everything I would do off my values and and I I've strongly believe in that. So um, – and it goes alongside with this other mindset of, uh, you know, putting yourself in an uncomfortable space to grow. Mm. And um, and I, I don't know who I was talking about this with the other day. I actually know. I did – I dropped a little solo. I recorded a solo yesterday and nice. I went, yeah, we can we can put ourselves in places where we don't belong or uncomfortable places um, but – but sometimes that doesn't mean we're going to grow. I mean, just because I go and stand in a car park doesn't mean I'm a fucking car, you know, <laughs> or ever going to be one. So, so we've got to actually adapt to those environments as well. And like you're talking, you've got these upper level, these upper level CFOs and CEOs, yeah. and um, that all came from. Well, actually, no, that came from one of Elliot's uh, episodes. Was uh, he was diagnosed with ADD, ADHD, and all this stuff, and. And he just said, you can teach a fish to climb a tree, but it ain't going to do him any good. And it's very true. Yep. You know, so we try and put people in places, but the the need to want to grow is like – so being a part of the academy comes after the immersion of being in the the um, the Strong Men of Value immersion. Yeah, it's, oh, it's, sorry, the, the um, right, Men That Can project yeah, so immersion. We, we um have an application process yep. because, once again, I will – and I don't want to sound like an asshole, but I want to work with people that I'd have a beer with because I've worked with so many coaches over the last seven years and some have been the biggest waste of money. It's not because what they were teaching wasn't good. It's just I didn't have a vibe with them. And when you think about community and I go back to sport with footy, 
the best footy I ever played and the most enjoyable footy I ever played was school footy because yeah. I'd known them since I was 13. Yeah. Uh, you, you'd grown up, you'd had so many memories together and you, you really knew these people. When you started playing for money, people are coming in coming out and there's some people who you just like, I don't like that person. It can create a toxic culture. Yeah. And my goal is not about impressing everyone. I don't care about that anymore. My goal is about helping the people that are in our academy improve their quality of life. Mm. And a big part of that is the people that are in it. So we, you know, we've had to remove a couple of people recently, not because they're bad people. And I don't think, once again, I'm better than anyone. It's just you're not the right fit for how I think and how the, the direction of our group and what we're wanting to achieve and the values that we have. Yeah. There's so many men's groups, which is incredible. You may be more suited for this group. Yeah. And once again, I, I always emphasize I don't do it because I think I'm better. I just think you know, culture and community is paramount. Yeah. Because people aren't going to open up. People aren't going to do the work if they're too worried about someone else that they don't get along with. Yeah, you know what? I totally endorse the fact that you do that. And it's not because people are toxic. It's because people aren't aligned with you. Yeah, and that's okay. And it's <laughs> got to be okay. Yeah. It has to be okay. It's not okay that we keep forcing that. And that's what we're saying. You can go and stand in a car park. <laughs> you ain't going to become a Toyota Tundra. <laughs> <laughs> um, what's the um, What's the plans for the the <laughs> – <laughs> yeah, that's my gold car when I move, mate. When you get over yeah, there, you want a tundra? That's what I told Amy. There you go. Yeah, okay. Uh, <laughs> it's good. It's good. That's a typical, typical Seppo. <laughs> <laughs> um, you're going to have that uh, sign written, hopefully. Yeah, Yeah. we'll see what happens. <laughs> What's the goals for, for the strong men of value? Where, where do you see this going? What do you want to do with it? So we, we've been very fortunate to have an advisor come on from the U.S., um, and just to, to continue scaling. So we want to continue impacting as many, many men as possible. And it's not about the number, like people no. say, I want to impact a million. I couldn't you know, yeah. care as long as it's actually making an impact and providing implementable and understandable tools for people where, you know, I won't even, I don't still don't hear half of the stuff that people are, you know, maybe changing as a result of it. But every time someone comes on board, I want it to be, I'm actually going to implement this. It's not oh cool read. Let's do something. And, for me, that's why f the fitness component is a big part because blokes, you know, when we run our challenges, you know, we got so many challenges happening. People are bringing their mates, they're talking about it, and they're actually doing stuff. And through doing physical activity, you're learning purpose, resilient values, understanding the wave of emotions that you can go through, uh. which then you can, imp uh, you know, correlate that in other areas of your life. So I've you know, now obviously um, – uh, spoken about this on our show. I've got a business partner now, so he's one of my best mates and the goal for bringing him on board was to give him the freedom that I have because he's from the UK. So yeah. a scale in the US and Bradley, the UK. Bradley Matthews, yeah. Yeah, Bradley Matthews. Um, so he's he's unreal and to know that we're continuing to build it and he's going to have more freedom and flexibility to go back to see his parents and stuff is, is pretty exciting. So I guess from a personal level, it's my life's amazing. I, I just want it to continue growing and I'm not attached to the man that can pro I always say this as well. Like I might be doing it in 10 years, but for right now it feels like the right thing, but you know, I could become a dad and go, look, my main focus is I want to do this. Mm. That's what I want to do. Um, whereas previously I was attached to being a footy player attached to yeah. being these things. So I'm doing what feels, feels right. And is providing value and we'll just, con you know, we are growing. So as long as we continue growing, I know that we're, we're doing the right things. Yeah. That's amazing. It really is. Um, and I know it will continue to grow, but I like your 
answer there about, oh, you're not attached to it. So if at a point you go, well, it's not me, and it might still growing, yeah. it might still keep going without you, and yep. that's the idea of any smart business is that you uh, that you can get out of the way of it. It doesn't come about you. Mm. Um, and you said then, um, my life is amazing. That's been a build but isn't it? Yeah. That has been a build and we've talked about that earlier and we just want to reiterate that if your life isn't amazing right now, it can be. Um, it's just the difference between um, the power of wanting to change versus the power of staying the same and uh, and you know, I believe anyone can do it but not a lot of people do. We'll do it. Yeah, we'll do it. Mate, you've given us three tips here for building healthy life patterns because this series is all about building healthy life patterns and um, – Oh yeah, I want to get into that now. So, and because we don't have a lot more of your time, we've really, yeah, we've probably taken almost too much as it is. You've got to get back up to Brisbane soon. Oh, Bris Vegas. Bris Vegas. Um, but I, I wanted to get into these three um, that you've you've sent us. So, so the first one, and I'm just going to actually say what they are, and then I'll let you explain the the back part of that if you don't mind. Um, number one for building a healthy life pattern is have a vision for your life. So you want to just unpackage that a bit yeah, more? Yeah, I think a lot of people get stuck with this one as well and I think it doesn't need to be complicated. If you don't have a vision for your life and you overthink it, just make a decision on what a few things that you want. It could be materialistic. It could be, you know, like I said, the first thing that I said was yeah, a million bucks a million and bucks. I had an idea of what that would give me. Yeah, I later realised through doing the work that I needed to make a few changes but because I created a bit of direction for myself, it started getting me to think about who I needed to be, skills that I needed to learn, people that I needed to surround myself with, sacrifices that I had to make, which then when it came down to decision-making, it was easier. A lot of men struggle to make decisions. It's one of the biggest things that frustrates their partner. You know, my Amy used to just get so frustrated with me because I'd be like, whatever you want. Like I wouldn't make a decision. And I thought I was just being nice by giving her a choice, but it's like sometimes people just like it when you make a decision, even with your mates. Where do you want to go for a beer? I know where do you want to go from. Just make a bloody decision. And that's a lot easier when you know what you're sort of working towards. Yeah. Okay, so for me, the decision to come down here and have a yum with you is a no-brainer, right? I've loved the opportunity to talk. I'm never on the other side of the microphone, so it's a new skill to develop. Plus now we've made a, a, a friendship, which yeah. is unreal. Mm. So there's there's plenty of opportunity that comes with the, you know, the, the sacrifice with those things. So that's why I believe it's so important to, to make that vision and if you don't have it just start broad yeah and use the feedback from the action that you're taking to get more specific because obviously specificity uh allows you to make more um direct action yeah but don't get bogged down in getting ready to get ready while you're waiting for the exact thing there you go I like that don't get bogged down on getting ready while you're getting ready mm. for the exact thing um we say in in this studio uh, well, in my my podcast, dream big, start small, trust process. I like it. Yeah, and that's basically what you're saying in a wrap up, isn't it? It's like, okay, get a vision, no matter what it is. You want a million dollars? Um, I, I love what Mel Robbins talks about in some of the stuff that she she articulates. But when she talks about um, um, visualizing and and materializing things in a, in your mind, she actually says a lot of people get this. And, and so I actually want to explain this also from Lockie's point of view to everyone else. Um, when we have a vision of what we want, we can't just go, that's the vision we want. We actually have to visualise because visualisation is a really important tool. 
visualize, you've got to visualize yourself doing the work mm. to get that yeah. to happen. Because if you just go, well, that's my vision, and you don't visualize yourself doing the work, you just visualize yourself as a millionaire, you, you might be a very broke one. <laughs> <laughs> well said. Um, so, number two was acknowledge your weaknesses. So let's get into that yeah. one. Well, that's that acceptance of self we spoke about. Yeah. I, once again, was accepting of the fact that I was a poor communicator. I didn't have these skills. And if you if you try to bullshit yourself and you know you need to grow, you're not establishing a solid foundation. It's like building a house on sand. Yeah. It's going to collapse at some point. So by acknowledging, you know, people say just focus on your strengths, 100%. Focus on your strengths, give more time to them. But if you aren't bringing up your average – you know, you're only as strong as the weakest link. Mm. So I look at things around how do I need to be as the best version of myself. When I was broke, I couldn't be as healthy as I wanted to be because I couldn't invest the time or afford the foods that I wanted um, or, you know, stress for, for one. So by bringing up your average, it helps all the other areas. But if you aren't identifying that and acknowledging the weaknesses and you just go, oh, put that in the too hard basket like the emu in the sandpit <laughs> – you're not going to get to where you want to get to. So it is, I think it's a, it's a simple one. You can always improve things. Yeah. Yeah. And I think when you tie that into the vision, like for me, why did I want to learn to read or why did I want to learn to communicate better when I already mumbled to my mates was because I wanted to inspire people on stage. Okay. So I knew I had to get out of my comfort zone. I knew I had to use video on social media because that's what I'd be doing. I yeah. knew I had to use a podcast. Yeah. So it helps me once again make decisions and that's why I guess the vision being the first one then ties into this is why you need to improve some of your weaknesses. Yeah. Yeah, that's a really important one. And there's another theory that goes along with that um, that I'll give you for free but it's not mine I anyway. I love it. Um, it's called the barrel theory. So if you look at a, a wine barrel, for instance, it's made up of all the timber planks on to hold certain, its capacity. But the barrel can only be filled to the limit of its lower lowest plank. So the capacity of the barrel can only ever be filled to that brink. So you don't work on the top ones because they're not going to make it any – they're not going to increase the capacity of the barrel. You've got to work on the lowest ones, which are the weakest links. Yes, so that's, I like that. That's the I barrel really thing. Like we use that in our businesses and what we try and do is – and like I've always anchored into that. Um, there's a couple I have up my sleeve like that. Um, yeah, so the barrel theory is exactly what you're talking about. And the last one is plan. Work with time. We live in a busy world. There's a lot of distractions, phones, people want, you know, I'm sure you get it all the time. People are wanting your time and attention and it feels like we've spoken about earlier. It feels good to be wanted. Yeah. It feels good to be needed. And quite often when we don't have the boundaries in place, we don't have a plan. We just go, yeah, I'll do that. I'll do that. And everyone's like, I'm just a yes man. I'm all or nothing, man. I'm like, that's not going to help you. Mm. You need to shift your perspective. You can be a yes man on things that are moving you to where you want to be. And it doesn't make you any less of a person by saying no to people or saying no to things if it's not getting you to where you want to be. Mm. For me, you know, we work in 90-day game plans or 12-week blocks because that's how you do your bass, <laughs> but uh, a business because it allows you enough time to create some momentum, mm -hmm. but it's also enough time that if it's not working for you, you've got 12 weeks worth of feedback and you can go, okay, well, what do I need to adjust or, or change in order to get to where I'm going to? Or if, you know, you decide that, hey, that was actually a goal I just made because it was a New Year's resolution. It was the first thing that I thought of. Let's shift that for the second quarter so that I haven't wasted a whole year. Yeah. And you then break those 12 weeks down into monthly you know, milestones, 
weekly milestones, daily actions. Like I, my whole week's mapped out. Generally, I'm two, three weeks ahead mapped out. My wife, you know, one thing I'm working on as well is I don't have much time for flexibility now. The time that I'm at work, I'm at work. So when I schedule in gym or when I schedule in guitar time or time with Amy, it's an appointment because if you don't schedule it in, yeah, 60% you might do it, but the other 40% of the time you're sitting on your ass watching Netflix and your relationship's breaking down or you're not, you know, practicing your hobbies. So for me, I live by the calendar and then I also know if someone wants to catch up, it's like, well, I'm not free until February sometime. Yeah. And I get done the things that are important to me. Obviously, you've got to have that flexibility for, for emergencies or opportunities that pop up that will you know, significantly improve where you wanted to go. Like you always ask yourself that question, is that more important to me and my goals than what I've currently got scheduled? Yeah. And sometimes that happens, which is completely okay as well. But then it's like I don't have to stress because I know every day I look at my calendar, I know what's coming up. Yeah. I can prep for things that I need to prep for and I know where my time needs to go and – you know, you take a lot of guesswork out of things. A lot of people feel overwhelmed because it's like they don't know what they're doing half the time. Yeah. And that's a scary place to live. Yeah, I really, really like that plan and actually schedule <clears throat> even your time with your loved ones and stuff because, like you said, without it, we'll end up sitting on the on the lounge watching Netflix when we could be mm. hanging out and connecting deeper. And a lot of people set, you know, set goals when they get, you know, let's say, for example, you're at the beach and you – as a bloke, you see some jacked dude walk past and you go, oh, that's just inspired me to get fit. Mm. I'm going to start this hectic gym regime, going to start dieting. You don't look at your calendar. You've got three kids, you run your own company, you don't have that much spare time. Yeah. What you've now set yourself up to do is fail. Fail, yeah. Because the likelihood of you actually having the time you need to meal prep or whatever it is, however you're going to attack that, is pretty low Take the excitement and enthusiasm, go, this is, you know, I might need a coach or I might need to just go through and work out how much time it's going to take me daily or weekly to to allocate this. Look at where my time's currently going. Yeah. Can I do that? Yeah. It's, you know. It might be a longer time to get there. Correct. But just start. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And then you can give yourself some honest time frames. Yeah. Yeah, that's really good. Mate, um, I asked you if um, – if you would, this series with building healthy life patterns, it's not just about information. We want implementation. Um, and it is a rebut to the New Year's resolution style of thing, which and a, a lot of people take on, but the proof and the evidence is only 9% of resolutions stick. Yep. And which is great. It's fantastic that they do. Um, and then there's another percentage that drops off after a certain amount of time. Like I think 75% of them will drop off after the first month. Mm. And so – what I'm all about because – and it's not it's not because it's a good thought for me. It's something that I've been putting into practice over the last 18 months is building healthy life patterns in all aspects of my life, holistically, um, spiritually, mentally, physically, financially. Everything that I'm doing is building a healthy life pattern. Um, and so we wanted to actually do a whole series on it. But just the information and the information you've given us today is like ridiculous. Um, it's so deep and so wonderful and, and – and one of the biggest things I've got out of this today so far is, and for everyone else listening, it doesn't matter where, where, where you've lost your identity. It just matters that you just try and find it back and, and you can change the world by doing what Lockie's doing right now. And I dare say there's thousands of men out there that have been through or are still a part of the Strong Men of Value um, who are thanking you very much for the fact that you 
got handed that four agreements or you made the decision to go on the PD journey and go, oh, there's there's something better. There's not just this broken person that needs to mask and feel numb. There's something better because without that, um, the ripple effect – and you just think about the men that are saying it, but the ripple effect of their families. And I always say, we're not, I shouldn't say that's generalisation, but I do say that when a child decides to change, it sometimes doesn't take in a family. When a mother decides to change, it doesn't mean that the whole family is going to change. But when a father does, the ripple effect and the percentages of change in the whole family are huge. So, and that's just statistical. That's not me saying this is my... Prefer- Why do you think that is? I, I I think men are more influential and that's the simple fact. I think they are. Um, they carry the load and I don't want to be uh, genderized with that either. I think that women have a sp- specific level of, of pressure that they can carry that men can't and we all need to fit together in this yep. in an equality in a way. But, but for some reason um, men are more influential in, in a family setting and like you've articulated that there was something missing from your relationship with your father and there was definitely something missing from my relationship with my father and that was that validation and when you started doing something that he liked, you got it and and so men are more influential for some reason. Women are more nurturing and I, um, we, we all need nurture when we're young and we all need validation as young men and that is proven in things like the rites of passage and something I was going to talk to you about maybe after off air, but I will now, is Dr. Arna Rubenstein runs the Rights of Passage Institute in northern New South Wales and a lot of the stuff that you do sounds like – and you were saying it before about, you know, they, they run through the, the band that can immersion but then when they go back, they go back to normal life and that's um, that's a, a rite of passage missing an angle, you know, so which are really important in our life these days, rites of passage. Mm, definitely. So saying all that <laughs> – um, I asked you to do something and what we're doing here is each week we're dropping a challenge. So it's implementation and the first couple have been like <clears throat> go for a walk on the beach or go for a walk in nature without your phone. Don't take your phone. And the reward would be a coffee. That's the whole habit loop, you know, um, trigger, re- routine, reward. Yep. And and then the next one that Elliot gave us was to um, don't have your phone next to your bed and don't look at your phone for the first hour in the morning. So those first two have been about that. And then Dane's from this week was, uh, well, this last week was um, a random act of kindness and a gratitude journal. And I know that you're really big on gratitude journals because it's part of the strong men of value thing. It's the third tier in yeah, that. Yeah, third tier. Um, so I asked you to do something. And we've asked everyone implement yep. these and see how they go. So building small little challenges. So what's yours? Mine would be aim to meet one new person a day. <sighs> the going back to that whole Uber experience was the opportunity to meet new people and you never know when that person's going to extend an olive branch, as I say, to go come for a workout with me or come for a surf or whatever it is. Um, but I, I do believe your environment influences you more than anything can because we all have the best intentions. But like we're saying, if you're in the, you know, if you want to be fit, hang out with fit people. If you want to, you know, improve your wealth, hang out with wealthy people because you see their mannerisms and how they think, act and behave when nobody is apparently watching. So mm. I think your network, there's a, a quote, your network equals net worth. And when you say net worth, for me, it's like the abundance that you get, the experiences, the the memories, not just financially. So everyone's an expert in something that you're not. And every day I try to meet someone new, whether it is through an online platform, you know, 
Instagram or Facebook or if I'm just at the coffee shop and someone's standing there waiting for a coffee, I'll introduce myself. Still do that religiously. Awesome. Then that's the challenge. Yep, that's the challenge. And if you do do that, one, you're going to experience, you know, I'll go back to the very first time I really saw this happen. I was at the doctor's office and the person next to me was, you know, on their, their social media and I you know, didn't have my phone there and I was like, hey, go on. And they're just still tapping away. I was like, having a good day? And this person just like double take me as if I'm the weirdest person in the world for having a conversation with them. But it teaches you the ability to connect with people. It yeah. overcomes a fear of being seen. Yeah. You develop so much. Th- I guarantee you, right, if people try to do this, they'll freak out. We did a – so I'm rambling here, but my mate Benny uh, worked for one of those radio stations in Melbourne. We hung out at the well, – we didn't hang out. We are flying somewhere, but we were hanging out at the airport – and he's like, I'm going to put a $5 note in your pocket and you're just going to keep your hand in your pocket and try and give people $5 and see what they say. You get so comfortable with rejection, it's not funny. Yeah. I would have had to go up to you and now, hey, mate, would you like $5? And they just look at you like you're an oddball once again. No one took it. No one was like, no. Nah. I literally had a $5 note in my pocket, but people are just so freaked so out by connection. Awkward. So mm. once again, you don't know and tying this back into mental health, there are people out there who don't have anyone and you could be the one person that yep. makes their day. I know when people introduce them to me, I'm like introduce themselves to me. I'm like, that was awesome. Yeah. You know, regardless of the conversation, I just love the fact that you get to meet new people. So do that and then treat yourself with the skills that are going to come with that. Buy yourself a coffee and just think about how the interaction went, what you can learn from that, how, you, you know, questions that you didn't ask that maybe you did want to ask. I think there's a lot of lot of merit to it. Mm. Oh, I, I love that. So I love meeting new people every day. And and if we'd ever been in an Uber together, we would have had the best conversation. Oh, it would have been fired up. <laughs> it would have been. Well, I would have asked you to go further further to the deck. Yeah, can we go to the Gold Coast, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Brisbane, please? <laughs> because every time I get in an Uber in Melbourne, um, I, have a, I have a deep desire to, to see some change in India. And one of the businesses that we've got is a, a profit for purpose. And we're pouring uh, resources uh, when it takes. We're pouring resources into stuff we want to do in India. And Why India? Uh, I'm a human first. Yep. Um, I've been there a few times yep. and there's massive need over there. And um, the few times that I went there, I'm stepping over families on the street and with cardboard, that's their sleeping apparel. Yep. And I know that we have poverty in Australia. I understand that. But the poverty there is at another level. Yep. There's um, the same population of Australia in orphans. In India, yep. Our population here in Australia—that's the orphans—that's the orphans in India. Thirty million. Oh, yeah, and it's point two of a percent of them are orphaned by death. So the rest of them are discarded, and if that doesn't break your heart, yeah, like they're not wanted, and if that doesn't break your heart, so when you understand that, like for me, that that was my thing, and um. The reason I was saying that sorry to cut you off, I was <laughs> curious. Um, is the reason I was saying that is like every time we go to Melbourne, we get in an, in an Uber, and generally it's an Indian driver. Yeah, and I have the best conversations with them. Like they don't want to talk at start, <laughs> but I start talking to them so much so that my wife's sitting in the back or something. She goes, "Why do you always have to talk to them? Why do you?" Because she's not yep. like that sort of person, but um, and she's incredibly. Uh, hospitable to everyone. Most people, uh, she just doesn't talk in those situations, and I just, I just love it. I just love talking to her. So we would have had the best Uber ride if I'd have jumped in one of your Ubers. 
The longest Uber trip on record. The longest Uber trip on record. Mate, um, just to wrap this up now, I just want to ask one question and I'm and I generally just get a feeling of what age I need to ask this about. And um, we're going to wrap this up and then I'm going to ask you three really quick questions. But what would you say to your 11-year-old self now? I think just trust your gut. I think everything in my life I've had an idea of what I want to experience or try and just use that as the feedback. So just I guess the flip side, flip that on its head, don't worry about other people's opinions or expectations. Do what you feel is going to make you happy. Yeah, come back to the four agreements yep. and and don't worry about what they think. Yep. Yeah. So trust your gut. Yep. I think yeah. It's cliche but I think often the cliche things are the best way to live. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, that, that is important. Um, again, thanks so much for your time. But to wrap up completely, I do three really fast questions. And I haven't found something – I've been trying to find something to replace this and I haven't been able to. So um, you can ask, you can actually answer them as long as you want. I don't really care. And sometimes a negative turns into a positive. So yeah. what is the worst thing that someone said to you? I'm a fake. I'm a lady in Toowoomba, you know, I had Facebook pages made about me and – Things and one lady was like, like he's full of shit. You just wait and see everything that is, you know, because obviously I did have a checkered past, but I was open and honest about it. But when people saw that I was coaching people, they're like, he can't be doing that. He's done this, this and this. I'm like, I have. <laughs> so that was that was hurtful. And another quick one, a lady in an Uber, Uber driver. Um, when I, sorry, I was an Uber driver, she was just laughing at me when I was like, I'm going to, you know, have a, an incredible lifestyle in a couple of years' time where I can travel and she's like, <laughs> doing that from Uber. She didn't <laughs> never ask why I was Ubering or yeah. – um, so that was another oh, – I didn't enjoy hearing that but it mm. definitely motivated me. Yeah, you go. Negative turned into yeah. positive, yeah. So what's the best thing that someone's ever said to you? I, I – yeah. Good to see you stumped. There's just so many, um, obviously when your wife or fiancé at the time or girlfriend at the time says yes to, to marry you, that's pretty cool. But I think there's been so many um, messages and, and stuff that I get from people on how it's impacted their life or the spouses of men that I've worked with that, you know, w while you don't do it for that, when you get that, that's pretty pretty rewarding. Yeah. So, Yeah. Can't remember a specific one, but it's the encouragement. stuff like that. Yeah, the encouragement and knowing that you're, the work that you're doing is actually having an impact. Mm -hmm. Who is your hero? I'd say, my, like, I don't feel like I ever have a hero. I feel like I've just, I don't know, done what I've needed to do to try and, I guess, impress myself. Like, I, you know, I wanted dad's recognition I wanted to to make my parents proud but from a hero perspective it's like I've always just gone if it needs to get done I'll do it I'd um yeah I think it just put in the work so I've wanted to be my own own hero I think that um is a very humbling answer and I appreciate your humility on being able to say you are your yeah. hero um, because you've done what you've been able to do. Um, mate, um, you've expressed so much humility during this whole episode and your vulnerability is ridiculous. I've really enjoyed 
getting to know you. Can't wait to get in the Uber together. Me and either. We will do a podcast for sure and an Uber sometime <laughs> in the future. That'll be awesome. If I ever come to Nashville, that'll be what we'll bloody do. Oh, that'll be perfect. Um, and I can't endorse what Lockie does enough. Every man needs uh, a project like his to get a part of and be aligned with with strong men of value like Lockie and what he's doing. And um, I, I just I – like I'm really humbled that he's here and humbled that he's – shared he's opened his life up for us and we want to support everything that he does and and the business does moving forward mate where can people reach out with and get a hold of your yourself well firstly thanks for having me on it's been honestly it's been a pleasure and you've asked great questions and it's been you've got me thinking which i i love love to be able to do so thank you for having me on and providing the platform we'll do this again and for me for, for facilitating it post-producting it as yeah. well that's awesome yeah. uh, for, it's just the website themanatcamproject.com and from there you can find our podcast our Instagram and all of that sort of stuff so it's all in one, one place okay well we'll throw all that in the show notes anyway and just uh, thanks again mate we'll tune out here thanks for having me you're welcome buddy Oh, that's all good. That's real. That was really. I, went fun. I was like, I messed up, but I, I'm halfway committed. Yeah, I used my right hand rather than my left hand. That was really fucking awkward. That was. That was the end of another episode. Thanks so much for tuning in today. If you've enjoyed this episode, I would love for you to rate, review, and subscribe, as this will help me get my message out to more people. If you've heard anything today that has resonated with you, please feel free to reach out to me on Instagram at Nath Cartledge. All the other ways to contact me will be in the show notes. I'd love to chat and hear your thoughts. Can't wait to conflab next week.